Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man. I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I've become like a man who does not hear and whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me who boast against me when my foot slips. For I'm ready to fall and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Those are verses 13 to 18 of Psalm 38, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, May the 4th, 2022. It's Star Wars Day. (laughs) You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Star Wars Day is May the 4th be with you. So anyway, I didn't realize that until I read that. Um, So anyway... That we're continuing our look today at the uh, prophecy of Daniel. We're in chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. We're in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 4, verses 38 to 44. And then in the first epistle of John, the cha- fifth chapter, the first 12 verses there. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar has passed on, and his son, Belshazzar, has become the new king. And so King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. So he's he's called a great feast. And, and the fact that he's drinking wine in front of the thousand is probably some indication that maybe he's had too much. <clears throat> Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So they're taking holy things and turning them into common use. And these things had been consecrated to the Lord, that they belong to him. And so when he does this, he is um, profaning these vessels that had come from the temple. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So they took things that that had been set aside for the service of God and turned them into rank common things. And not only that, then they praised the gods of of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That they are mocking. So they didn't just um, profane these holy vessels. They also mocked God. In doing these things, because then they praise those other gods, those things that are made by hand, not by not not a god who is not made by human hands. So immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. How, how creepy <laughs> would that be? And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. You know, there was the blood all drained out of his face. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. I mean, he he was terrified at what he has seen in this place. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon. No, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, quote, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, which is royal, and have a gold, chain of gold around his neck. So he, this person will be raised up to be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. 
Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. I mean, he is terrified. And who wouldn't be if you had seen such a thing? The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So Daniel's um, reputation lingered in the land. And so this new king, who is obviously a clown, um, who has done nothing other than to be born on third base, is now the king. And, and Nebuchadnezzar w- would never have done these things. I mean, think about Nebuchadnezzar, who, who did set up one of these images and all that, but think about the way he reacted when, when God showed him things, and, and it, God did show him things, but that day has passed now. And so his kingdom is coming to an end, and the Lord is reestablishing his people. And he's doing it through this idiot king, Belshazzar. And, and he's doing it because he, he is a clown and a fool. And that's why he's done this thing in bringing these uh, holy vessels in, something Nebuchadnezzar never did himself. And then he, it's sort of like the beginning of Exodus, I guess, is, is one way to say it. So what it says is, then a king arose who didn't know Joseph. So the memory of Joseph had gone, and therefore now you've got a king in place who doesn't know these things. His queen, however, does know this. And so it seems that he has been kind of quietly forgotten, and he's just going about his business during this time. And so the queen says, nope, there's a man who can tell us what's going on here and what this is about. And so he is sent for uh, Daniel to come and explain these things. She still has a memory of him and still has faith that Daniel will be able to do um, what none of these others have been able to do. She remembered the situation at some level, but this this man, Belshazzar, has no recollection of it at all. It tells you something about his life. It tells you something about his commitment to knowing anything at all about his father's kingdom, the kingdom that he now has. In Luke's gospel, Jesus leaves the synagogue where he had been in Capernaum, where he had um, delivered the man of the unclean spirit the day before, in our reading the day before. But this is he rose after he did uh, taught and then healed the man with the unclean spirit and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house in Capernaum. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. So we know a couple of things there, right? We know, one, that Simon's mother-in-law must have lived with him, um, which would not have been abnormal by any stretch of the imagination if she were a widow, and, and then also that Peter was married. So we know that he, that he at least had a wife. So his mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. I, I would assume it didn't take a whole lot of appeal to get Jesus to do something. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So Jesus has power over this fever. He rebuked the fever, and immediately 
And this is not Mark, so immediately it's not as common in Luke as it is in Mark. But immediately she rose and began to serve them. So she's, she's perfectly well uh, immediately. Now when the sun was setting, because it's the Sabbath, you're not allowed to do anything like travel and, and walk further than a certain kind of distance. Um, so the sun was setting on the Sabbath now, and, and as the sun's setting, the Sabbath is over. And so the Sabbath restrictions are lifted. Who had it, All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on each one of them and healed them. I mean, what an amazing thing that would be. I, I've been in, in plenty of places where healing services were held. Um, I, I've, I've conducted quite a few healing services, but I've certainly never seen a service where every single person who came was healed. Never. <clears throat> never seen, not, haven't seen many times when people were healed at, in a moment, much less all the people who came for healing. <clears throat> so the demons came out of many of them, saying, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And again, the, the messianic secret is what that's called in, in theological terms. So the, the messianic secret it involves two things. It's, it involves Jesus not allowing demons to bear testimony to him, because that's not the testimony that he, that he needs or desires. But the other side of it is, is that he would tell the disciples, don't tell anybody about these things from time to time. And it's because people needed to make up their own minds based on what they saw and what they heard. So in, in remember a couple of days before when he was in Nazareth, they had they had heard some things, and then he comes and he proclaims, and, and they're unwilling to make a decision about him that makes any sense because wait that's Joseph's boy over there, so they're they're not evaluating evidence that's been put before their eyes, and so that that's the issue, and and he doesn't want to have the testimony of demons. So when it was day, so the next morning, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Again, the, the, he's, he's presenting them with a visual and auditory witness to who he is. And so it's not going to be a second-hand thing. If they're going to reject him, they have to reject him based on evidence that he has put before them. He's making his case that he's the Messiah, and they have to decide whether he is or not. If you think about it like this, if you think about when Moses goes to the people in Egypt, when God meets him in the wilderness at the foot of Mount Sinai and, and shows him the burning bush, and his uh, argument with God is, I, I don't speak well, right? So God says, I'll be your mouth. I'll put words in your mouth. You don't have to worry about it. And it's the same thing Jesus tells the disciples is, is that don't worry about it. You're going to be dragged before governors and all these other people. Don't plan in advance what it is that you intend to say. And so that, that Jesus says the same thing. God responds to Moses in the same way. I'm going to put the words in your mouth. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Well, ultimately, he, he bargains with God, and God says, okay, here comes Aaron. He can be your mouth. I'll speak to you, and you speak to him. And he says, okay. But, but then he says, okay, I got another objection too. Why in the world are they going to believe me? I need to be able to authenticate myself in some way. And so how does he authenticate himself? Well, God gives him some signs to do. But he has to do this so that the people can see and believe. And so it's the same with Jesus. He comes to speak 
and expound on the Word of God, correct the things that they have wrong, and speak into the current situation. But at the same time, he's given signs by which to authenticate himself when he comes. And and I personally believe with all my heart that the same should be true of the church, that signs should accompany it because, why did I say that? Because the Holy Spirit is given to us. And Jesus says that he would be with us even to the end of the age. And he is in the person of the Holy Spirit. Well, it's the same Holy Spirit that Luke tells us on multiple occasions, the Holy Spirit was there for healing when Jesus did healing works. So if the Holy Spirit is with us and Jesus has said, greater things will you do, then why would we believe, how would we believe, honestly, that that no longer should be a mark of the church? I really don't understand. I really believe we become such a scientific society, but but this was gone long before that. But we need, I think, an abundance of the Holy Spirit to authenticate our message. Paul says when he goes to Corinth that, that his, he didn't speak with eloquent words. He preached a very simple message, he says. I, I resolved to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. But, he says, the proclamation was accompanied by power, which I would argue with you all day long. Had to have been signs. It had to have been things like healing. They had to have seen something as well as heard something. And I believe that, that if we are the Church of Jesus Christ, then we should be seeing, expecting, and praying for signs and miracles. believe that with all my heart. There's not a single part of me that doubts the, the truth of that. So in the epistle today, we're talking again about testimony. And as I said, Jesus didn't want the testimony of demons. He provided the signs of his teaching and also the, the wonders and the miracles that he did. In in First John, John's still arguing with them, not arguing with them. He he's he's uh, telling, or encouraging, I guess, his audience to, and affirming them in letting in, in in their fight that they had with these docetists that Jesus just seemed to be God, that the Holy Spirit was given to him later at his baptism or whatever, that that they're believing these things and and, and not believing the truth. And so the, those people have gone out, and these people now, John is encouraging them that, yes, they went out, they claim to have knowledge that they got from God, but it, it flies in the face of the truth that I preach to you. And so I don't care what their, quote, Gnostic knowledge is, doesn't matter to me, because it's wrong. I don't know what the source of their knowledge is, but it didn't come from God, and that's his argument here. So he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So so there's two marks, right? So the first mark is believing that Jesus is the Christ, and if you are, then you've been born of God. Well, if you've been born of God, he says, then if you love the Father for what he did in the person of Jesus, then you love others who have been born of the Spirit as well. Those are the two marks of a Christian, believing this and loving those who believe it. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, that we do the stuff that he told us to do. It's as simple as that. It's an act of love is active obedience. And it's not difficult. But we have kind of divorced it from what we call sanctification, we've said, you just got to believe. No, I have to believe and obey. 
if I, if I want to prove that I love my parents when I was a kid, then I would do what they told me to do. That was an act of obedience, but it was also an act of love. It said, I trust you. I trust the one who gives me the commandments. And, I, and, and in this case, I trust him eternally. And I want to be like his son because I know that his son was well-pleasing to him. And he, he goes on to say, and his commandments aren't burdensome. This is not hard stuff. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is sort of Romans 7, the stuff we just looked at a couple of weeks ago. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Because now I can see the world for what it is. It's been exposed. Jesus exposed it in the resurrection. He exposed the weakness of their claims to power. Because when he's resurrected from the dead, that's the last enemy to be defeated, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And so what that means is that if in Jesus' overcoming of the world, our faith in him is our own overcoming of the world. We can rejoice in our own resurrection because of Jesus' resurrection. That's what faith means. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? If you don't believe that, then you can't overcome the world. Because what he did was then just meaningless. It was magic or something. And then he goes on to say this. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Now that is one of the most contested statements. <laughs> and not contested whether it's true or not, but the, but the, the contesting has to do with what does it mean? What does it mean that that it's the Spirit, the water, and the blood all testify? And so there's two different schools of thought, and I'm going to tell you which one I'm going to go with, but I'm going to give you both of them. So one of them, the, the, the first and the one that I'm going with that I really believe to be true, is, is that the Spirit, the water, and the blood, the, so the Spirit, I don't have to explain, but the water and the blood, I believe to be the water of baptism and the blood of the cross, I believe those three things are the things that testify to him. Now, the other option is to believe that the water and the blood refer to the stuff that comes out when they pierce Jesus' side. The reason that I'm going to go with uh, belief in that, that it's baptism is this. I, I believe that it's because God spoke. God spoke at his baptism and confirmed that he was his beloved son and whom he was well-pleased. So I believe that the water of baptism, God speaks, therefore it testifies. It testifies to the person of Jesus. And then the blood, I mean, I think that's pretty straightforward all on its own, right? Um, The blood of the cross is also further attestation of Jesus because of the resurrection. Now, if he's not resurrected, the blood won't testify. But the, the blood of the cross is the blood that's on us and is the propitiation for our sins. He goes on to say, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. And those three things are the testimonies of God about Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself because you have the Spirit. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. So you reject God's testimony. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing in his life. They had to have an opportunity to reject him. They, they had to, he had to come and had to do the things that he did to authenticate himself. And then based on that, they had to reject him. 
So they had to have seen it. And that's the reason Jesus can't just hang out in one place, that he goes all over the place, because these people need a first-person eyewitness that they can then reject or receive. And and that's what um, John's saying here to us, that whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And so the Spirit is that which testifies to us. So if you don't believe in, that Jesus is the Son of God, he's saying then you don't even believe in God because you don't believe God. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so what is that life? I think that's the critical question we need to answer. It's the life of the Spirit today, but it's the life eternal as well. But it does have a present implication. We should be, the Christian church should be more like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We should be those who have a wisdom that's inaccessible to other people through the indwelling of God's Spirit in our lives. I would ask today that you would pray with me that the Lord would open our hearts to express more of him, that he might have more of us so that we might have more of him and display him to the world.